Hey everybody, welcome back to the Model Tongue Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things mental health, mental illness, body positivity, self-worth, and the importance of finding your voice. My name is Karen Inder. In this week's episode, I chat with Dr. Chris. Dr. Chris is an authority in the treatment of mental illnesses such as depression, anxiety, bipolar disorders, and eating disorders. She is such a huge inspiration to me, and I am so excited for you to hear her take on treating mental health disorders, what to remember when you feel like you're losing everything, and her new course, Moving Beyond, scheduled to launch at the beginning of February. Be sure to check out her website for info on how to register and regain control of your mental health. I will also link her books below. Please note that this episode contains discussions surrounding bipolar disorder, mental illness, police violence, and suicide. Thank you everyone for tuning in and listening. As you know, your support goes so far here and we do a happy dance every time we see you engage with us. So please click all of the buttons, subscribe, like, comment, and follow. We will see you next week and please welcome Dr. Chris. Good afternoon, Dr. Chris. Hi, nice <laughs> to be here with you. It is so nice to see you again. I feel like I have, well, Last time we saw each other, we were in a coffee shop. I don't know when that was, but I know it was February 7th yeah. before <laughs> or something I, like that. I was just going to say, wait, wait, wait. I can kind of probably ballpark it because we saw each other in a coffee shop. Those are the key words. So it was definitely before we hit March 2020. <laughs> yes, it was. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, you know, I'm a huge fan and a huge supporter. You know, like I have, I have your books. <laughs> uh, Beyond the label, the essential diet. Um, so, and I love you so much. But for anyone who's listening who doesn't know, why don't you just tell everyone about yourself, what you're about, and anything you'd like to say? <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, um, I'm a naturopathic doctor, and I help people regain their mental health. Um, but basically, I came to this place of this role that I play because of my own struggle with my mental health. So I have um, had many labels, anxiety, depression, suicide, survivor, um, eating disorder, and then bipolar disorder type one. So I um, had a hard time finding help uh, other than the standard Western medical approach, which is pharmaceutical upon pharmaceutical upon pharmaceutical. So um, eventually I uh, found my way to a nutritionally oriented psychiatrist and learned about things like, oh, food actually does matter and um, health and supplementation. And then I ended up making a career change. So that's the journey in a real nutshell. Just a real small nutshell. <laughs> um, in So in your book, Beyond the Label, uh, you share because I like it how, you know, you share a lot about your personal life and your story. And then it's also like tips and education and informative. You're reading, you're like, oh, wow. Okay. That makes sense. And it can really help you. Um, I also have bipolar. Um, and sometimes I'm like reading your book. I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> but you know, it's for real though. You, you've, you've been through a lot and you've done a lot. And which, again, which is what I find so inspiring because I was diagnosed with bipolar at 14 and this would have been in the 90s. And 
you know, I've been doing lots of reading too on like mental health reform and the history of mental health and like the decades mm. and how mental health changed per decade. And mm. like, I, I think the, the, the journey is always upward you would hope and you, you want to think, but I just can't imagine what it was like growing up because the stuff that you talk about your experiences with the police and with travel and with doctors, you know, you, you read it and you're like, this can't be real, but it, of course it is. Mm-hmm. And then I think about how much things have changed or at least I like to think it's changed, you know, <laughs> from, from when I was first diagnosed and how I was treated um, by doctors and law enforcement and parents. It's just, it's such an interesting projection to see. And I've, you know, I'm so sorry that some of you had some of these experiences, but thank mm. you for talking about them. Um, yeah. And actually not, not, they're not all in the book either. Yeah, you know, I bet. That's the same down version. That's the team down. I'll have to write another one, but the real, <laughs> like not the real, but the, the additional stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, there's been a lot for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some differences that you've noticed now versus when you were growing up? Yeah. So with, so I was diagnosed in, um, 1987 and my struggles sort of started with, um, well, I'll just, I'll back it up a little bit. Cause I sure. think it's important that people sort of understand that one of the things as naturopathic doctors, what we're trying to do is figure out what the root of the problem is. And sometimes the root of the problem, you have to go all the way back to when you were in utero. And Christiane Northrup is a medical doctor who I respect. And she talks about how we're the culmination of the seven generations that have gone before us. So when you think about that, it's really powerful and somewhat mind-blowing to think about the seven generations that have gone into making you, right? So trauma is an important piece of any mental health puzzle, I feel. And my sort of uh, a trauma, if you will, was I'm adopted. And adoption is the only trauma where you are expected to be grateful. And so for myself, when I learned that I was adopted, I processed that to mean that I wasn't wanted, I wasn't um, loved, and I, I developed some beliefs around that experience. And then what happened is I overcompensated and became this kind of overachiever type that you most people don't like to be around, you know, the one that's always trying to be the best and <laughs> kind of top student, top athlete. And, but I was masking or hiding my, what I was really feeling on the inside. And then when I got to university, I, you know, you can only burn the candle at both ends before you run out of candle. And that's kind of what happened. I crashed and burned. If I look back on it now, I would have been labeled most likely with something called adrenal dysfunction or fatigue or burnout. But instead, I was prescribed medication for depression and anxiety because that's how I presented as well, right? And then I took that medication and then I had a psychotic event uh, and then the bipolar label. But ultimately, at the root of all of it is this low... Um, not only low self-esteem, but also this, this trauma, really, that was never addressed. So how things have changed over the last 40 years is there's much more conversation going on now 
about mental health. When I was diagnosed in 1987, there was you know, there was no conversation anywhere to be found other than in the four walls within a psychiatric <laughs> office. Yeah. Right. So now we have things like let's bell, you know, bell, let's talk. And we have mental health weeks, you know, health weeks and world suicide day. And there's all kinds of um, talk about it. But my first, my frustration is I think, you know, okay, great. We're talking about it and don't get me wrong. That's important, but we also need to start doing something a little bit more than we're doing. I think. Right. So that's where I get frustrated. Yeah. Um, so, because one thing that bugs me is that there's so much out there for uh, like cr- crisis intervention opposed to crisis prevention. Like, I always question why are we waiting for, yeah, if, if going to the emergency room or, or having a breakdown or whatever you want to call it, rock bottom uh, is, you know, step 10. Why are we waiting till step 10 to do anything about it? That's right. That's um, right. So I, I, I feel you there. And it's just, I also remember too. I, you know, just with, with my advocacy and everything, uh, sometimes I feel maybe I expect too much from people, uh, mm-hmm. just meaning like empathy or understanding. And I have to kind of check myself because it can be disheartening at times mm-hmm. just cause I, I see it as like a group of people who, um, where in a lot of, in a lot of ways, a world isn't designed for us. And then there's things that could happen to make it easier. Uh, and, they're just not done (laughs) right right you know whether whether that's workplace or a home life or friends or you know whatever yeah Um, yeah you you also talked about how um pertaining to your mental health there's been times in your life where you have come close or have lost something um and one story in particular in your book is at like a naturopathic convention i think it was and 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 your husband was helping you um I, I was wondering if you could give any advice to anyone if they're struggling with mental health disorders who may feel that they are on the brink of losing something because of their disorder. <laughs> I know, so for me, my first time being hospitalized was during university. It was my second last year, I believe. Also crash and burned. <laughs> yeah. First time being hospitalized. So then fast forward a year later, I graduated. In my dream... Um, was to be a model and so I moved to Montreal to go to fashion school and I was going to pursue modeling because that was my absolute dream and then I triple crash and burned in Montreal and then I ended up losing my job and I couldn't go to school and I lost my apartment I had to move back home and in that moment for me that was I'm never going to recover from this. I just had everything I wanted right there and I lost it because I've messed up and I remember you know in the months afterwards I ended up in a long treatment center and it really helped but the focus of my therapy when I was in long-term treatment was just Montreal like I could not get over that I had lost everything mm-hmm. do you and mm-hmm. I this is like yeah. it's, a, it's a really because I mean that kind yeah. of it, it affects your hope and so yes. I was wondering if you could speak on that yeah, for sure. So I think the first thing to understand is that is a bit of a shift in mindset is that things aren't happening to you. They're happening for you. And even though it feels like you have lost it all, it's still for your greater benefit and spiritual growth. So, you know, another another piece of this is 
um, just understanding that if we want to look at health holistically with a physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual approach, we want to bring in this piece that I'm touching on, which is this, this spiritual aspect. And there was this story about, um, I heard about this recently and I'm not, I'm, I'm trying to think where I heard about it, but it was a, it was a study that was done on the, this family of, um, I think they were chimpanzees or in, in the wild and there were some, they were studying them and they noticed that some were very happy and active and, you know, and some actually looked like they were depressed. And so they decided to remove the depressed monkeys from this group, from this family or uh, however many there were and, and sort of rehab them right, to make them happy. And guess what happened when they went back to reintroduce them several months later to the rest of the, to the rest of them, they, they, they found them all, they had all died. And what they realized was that these depressed monkeys were the canary in the, in the gold mine, so to speak. They were the, they were the ones that, helped attune the rest of the people who weren't, rest of the monkeys who weren't aware to the environment. They were the sensitive ones, right? They were the ones that were the warning signs that, you know, things are, things are happening. And so I, I'm just telling that story because we often put people with mental health concerns into a category and we dismiss them, but we don't look at them as the beacons of what's wrong in our culture, right? The, the, the pointing to what needs to be changed. And in terms of loss, so, you know, I used to get frustrated because I, you know how they say, oh, you know, you can do anything you want in life and just put your mind to it. And, you know, you can achieve your dreams and that kind of thing. So for me, when I made my career change, initially I was going to go back and become a naturopathic doctor, but then I sort of lost my confidence because I was, 33 years old at the time, I was like, my goodness, this is going to take a long time. I got to go back to high school to get my university prereqs to then qualify for medical school. And then I got to go there for four years. Are you kidding me? I'm already, I'm going to be done when I'm 50 for crying out loud. Right. So I was like, forget it. I'm not going to do that. So I looked at other options and one of them, I'd always wanted to be a police officer. And my dad said I had to get a university degree at that time. You could have been a police officer coming straight out of high school, but no, I had to go to university. And that took me down the, the turbulent road it took me. Uh -huh. um, and so when I went to become a police officer, I broke the records athletically. It broke, you know, I got in and everything going through the interview. And then, he, and then they asked me the one key question, have you ever had any mental health struggles? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, sorry, you're out basically. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. That's another story that's not in the book. So, so <laughs> I was, and I was really mad. I was really upset. I bet. I was really upset. And so, but that crossed that option off the list. And so I went to become a naturopathic doctor. So everything happens for your greater good. It's not happening to you. It's happening for you. So just wanting people to understand that. And even though, you know, because we are on a journey, right, in this lifetime. And some of us, you know, are here to, you know, we think we're here to do whatever it is we think we're here to do. <laughs> For me, you know, it's all about what's your spiritual journey about. So, um, so for anyone who's listening, who feels like they've um, 
you know, you, you can feel like you're a failure. You can feel like you've lost hope. You can feel all of that. But I want you to understand that none of that's true. And they are just thoughts. And you don't have to believe them. And you're going to, from where you are, and if you're at the bottom of the pit, and I've been at the bottom of the pit many times, I want you to look up and you will see the light, move towards it and take a step. And then we have a conversation, you know, a year from now, and we can see, well, where, where are you now? Right? And so your trajectory, your trajectory has taken you to this place, right? Who's to say maybe something not good would have happened if you had continued that other path? We don't think about that, right? We all just think about what we lost. We don't think about maybe perhaps that might not have been the healthiest choice for you in that environment or that profession. That profession is a tough one too. They're not, they've got mental health problems. (laughs) The modeling industry, right? Mm -hmm. I know. Going to be doing, yeah. We're going to be doing like an Instagram live soon um, for my agency, like talking mental health pertaining to models. Um, oh, yeah. and just kind of like making it specific to different, you know, different coping strategies while like on set and something, you know, I just, I like to um, take what I know and what, you know, or what I learn with mental health and then create in scenarios that's easy for people to digest that that's real to them, you know, in, in their workspace or their specific, you know, whatever I always, cause whenever I do talks, I always talk about, um, like public transit's a huge one, you know, when you're on public transit, like so many of us take public transit. Um, what is one of your favorite thing? So, cause you, you're a naturopathic doctor and then you, one of your focuses is mental health. Mm-hmm. And that's like a very, <laughs> it's like, I'm so happy cause you know, we need, we need more of that, but also it, we, in what better hands, right. Than someone who's experienced it themselves. Um, What's your favorite part about helping people on their mental health journey? So actually, so initially when you asked that, my my initial response was going to be saying, you know, it's, it's when people do see that light and they do turn the corner, right? And they do find another way to navigate and that they get better. And the, you know, I think the biggest thing that I bring is, is that inspiration and hope and, and faith that, that there is another path here to manage your mind so that you're not at the mercy of it. Another piece though for me though is, is really for people to, under, to understand what I was just saying in the sense that you know health is a journey and there is no um, destination, so to speak. Like, you know, this, this idea of normal is a kind of a pet peeve of mine. And one of the things that really bothers me is, is, and this is what's been said to me is, um, you know, well, you're not, you know, you're not normal. Like it's not normal to have suicidal thoughts. It's not normal to experience psychosis. And I get that it may not be normal, but I don't think it did me much good telling me that I'm not normal. So what I think, right, so I think my message to people is just understand that that's the full range of human experience, right? Psychosis at the top, suicide at the bottom, that's the full range of human experience. And it's all about why is this being expressed in this organism, in this individual? Why is suicidal ideation being expressed? Why is psychosis being expressed? What's behind the behavior there? 
And so for me, it comes back to this concept of, of this idea of, of trauma and, um, and the organism's ability to cope and what the organism, organism being the human being, what the human being does in order to survive. Because any, anything within the human being, it's all about survival. Yeah. Right. So anyway, I think I went on a tangent there, but um, <laughs> tangents are so welcome on this podcast. <laughs> I was just going to say, like, one of the most comforting things, because you t- just talking about being able to relate and hearing it um, and just also normalizing something is, you know, I go to my therapist and I just tell her anything or just something that's really scaring me in the moment or something that happened. And there's no, no comfort, like your therapist just not reacting whatsoever and being like, yeah, yeah, it sounds about right. <laughs> like not making you feel like what? Yeah, exactly. You know, this yeah. happened. Um, and I just, when I, when I talk to people with their mental health and they're, cause in the, listen, it's scary, right? Especially if you're not familiar with what's happening, if you have these intrusive thoughts and all you're, you go on such a learning curve, but it has to happen immediately. You have no time to spare because they're happening to you in real time and you would have to react. And one time I was talking to someone who was experiencing their first breakdown or crisis. And she said, I always thought you were in control of your thoughts, but now Mm. I'm realizing you're not. And that is a big thing to have to learn immediately Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. while you're in pain. And uh, I think, you know, because you're right back, back, there was a time when no one spoke about mental health only within the walls of a psych ward. It's, it's, it's great. It's true. Now we're changing. And that's why I, you know, I like to do, do my part in normalizing because it's when, when you hear other people experiencing something and going through something, uh, it just, for whatever reason, it's like 50 pounds gets lifted off your shoulders. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's understanding it's through our, through our vulnerability that connection is made. So the more that we um, make ourselves separate or wear this mask. So for me, I wore a mask for many, many years that I'm like, I'm keeping it together on the outside here, but I'm actually dying on the inside. <laughs> right. And I didn't want anyone to know really the nature of my thoughts or or maybe it wasn't such that I didn't want anyone to know it's just that I didn't know that the nature of my thoughts was not quote-unquote normal and so a psychiatrist could only help me if they asked me the right questions because I wasn't forthcoming with the information right right and so I, I know that as a doctor when I'm sitting across the table from you I know that if I don't ask you the right questions I'm not going to get the answer necessarily unless you divulge it to me i was not a divulging patient. I was a very closed patient, not because I was closed-minded, but because I was closed, perhaps hearted and protecting myself from pain. And I didn't want to say too much because my experience was when I did say too much, they got, I got marched right back into the psych ward. Were you, so, nerv- were you nervous writing this book and publishing it beyond the label? Yes, absolutely. It took me seven years to come to to put that out there. I can't even, I'm stumbling on my words, even as you're asking. (laughs) No, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, uh, so much. So listen, nobody knew up until then I was public somewhat. Yes, public about depression and anxiety 
and the eating disorder and suicide, because those four things are more normal, if you will, more mm -hmm. accepted, right? More common than, you know, so one in four, one in five will experience one of those things, but only one in 10 will experience bipolar disorder or understand, you know, have symptoms of bipolar disorder. So bipolar disorder is more of a, ooh, what's that kind of thing? <laughs> and I felt like, and also when you, my psychiatrist told me, do not tell anyone you have this. Yeah. That was the messaging I got. Now, in his defense, he told me that because I worked in a corporate world in a high-profile job involving a lot of money. And one of the things with mania is money, money, spending mm -hmm. money, right? Frivolously, re recklessly, reckless abandon with your money. And so he didn't want to risk my career. And I, so I, I am grateful it's for that. It's, yeah. I had a coworker tell me that once, like, oh, we're not going to tell anybody that you have bipolar. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, so it's curious to know why, what was her why behind that though, right? What's the oh, why? Yeah. What was the intent? Everything goes back on intentions. Intention, so that's intention? right. Yeah. Um, but what that left with me, I was just going to say was what yeah. that left me with was not so much the intention that he was protecting my career, which he was, but that I was flawed. Right. Right. That this is something to hide. This is something that you don't tell people about because there's shame around it because it's because there's stigma because it's not a good thing to tell. And so for me to publish this book and now I'm a medical professional, mm -hmm. right? Who's going to, I even had a medical doctor say to me, I can't believe you've actually come out with this. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I don't agree with it. I believe yes, do it, <laughs> but I can, I, I'm like not well, surprised to hear you say that. Well, if Kay Redfield, Kay Redfield Jameson, who's been the only role model I've had can come out and, you know, and that's the only book. Mm -hmm. an, an unquiet mind when I was growing up or dealing with this the only book out there was th th about bipolar disorder was an unquiet mind uh, so I wanted to produce this book because I wanted another voice about this condition that wasn't just um, representing the western medical um, party line and I wanted people to know like look there's another way to navigate this um Cause, so, so reading it, some, so, cause you talk about things in this book that I, so I read it and I had to put the book down. I'm like, whoa. And, but it, you know, to your point, when I, like, when I reflect back, if I were to write a book, I'm sure there's things that I would leave out of the, of the, of the first story too, <laughs> you know, like, uh, but I, that being said, I really want, I really want a, a second part to this. So <laughs> what, but, does, what, what does make you go, whoa, what were the things that made you go, whoa? Like, well, okay. So you're like the, sometimes I'm like, I, I'm hesitant to share anything because I don't want to share anything. Oh, like spoiler alert. Well, no, no, no. I'm, I'm like, I want to be aware of what you're comfortable, but then I'm, then I'm forgetting, well, she wrote a book, like, so obviously it's out there. Um, but <laughs> your, your experiences abroad, um, and then your suicide attempt, and then your altercation with the police where your father made a call, um, which, yeah, made me, and then yes, also. Yes, Oh my gosh. Yeah, they're all, those so, are all traumas in and of themselves. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And uh, so it's definitely, it's got, it's got a lot in there. And, um, but also too, sometimes I had to take a break from it and like set it yeah, down because it can be uh, triggering. Triggering. Yeah, for sure. But it's necessary. It's a tough one. It is for sure. I, um, the first manic episode, um, in Mexico, 
or it was my second manic episode. It doesn't, at this point I'm, I've lost time. I've had six. I've had only had six. So there's not that many, but I'm pretty sure it was the second one. Anyway, actually what I didn't say in the book and I, it, my editor took it out or I didn't put it in whatever, which, whichever order it happened. Uh, actually I was, or maybe I did. Anyway, I was initially, the authorities were going to put me in prison. Mm-hmm. They thought I was doing drugs in Mexico. So could you imagine if I had got put in prison in a Mexican, in another no country like no so thank th- I really thank God every single day for my friends for my family for my support for God for being there for for not allowing some of these really horrific things to have happened but um so I I that didn't happen but then it did happen in Canada which is ironic I know which is, I think I mean at some point you have to laugh because that's about you've of got a course, choice right but, you can but, cry or you can laugh but so. like I will say like reading that part about about your altercation with the police where your father and your husband's there trying to advocate for you that broke my heart yes yeah. and, and uh and, and so it's uh, when did you, when did you write this book 2017 okay I was, so that so that one, so there's, there's been more than one involvement with the police. And actually the, the one that I'm referring to, um, that you're referring to with my dad, you know what, that is all about fear, mm-hmm. right? That's all about fear. And my dad, well, in a way, my dad, I think he did that out of love, but he also did it because of his, his, his wife's, my stepmother's fear. Mm-hmm. So uh, I yeah yeah it's really quite something isn't it to uh, yeah <laughs> to call the and, police on your child and right? it is you know especially obviously in today's current climate but you know there's been a couple very scary and unfortunate incidences in, in Toronto too of, of police getting involved with a mental health case and then it, and there there's been death and there's lots of conversations that need to happen about all that, but it's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, you wrote this in 2017 and um, I think it, it's like that statement was kind of ahead of what was coming. Mm. Like, that's how I look at it. Cause you did this in 2017, but then not, it hasn't gotten better. <laughs> it hasn't, no, it hasn't gotten better. And my interaction with the police in Toronto was 20 years ago. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That was 20 years ago. Exactly. So, um, it was very triggering. I mean, it's going to be triggering and traumatizing to anyone to have lived through this last year, especially, I mean, pandemic aside, just with George Floyd. I mean, that is, and not just him, but all the others that have yeah. come before him. Absolutely. And that is um, p- police and mental health should not be used in the same sentence. Number one, they should not be there. It's not a police matter. They should not be there. Yeah. And number two, uh, I just feel that, you know, for somebody like in, it, with me, I did, I did post about that section of my book that I talk about that experience. I could have, the way the police officer had, the force he used on me and the way he had me pinned to the ground with his knee in my back, I still have trauma I bet. to this day. And if he had put his knee higher, I could have been George Floyd. Mm-hmm. right I'm so, so sorry that happened it's unbelievable and this I'm not saying this for um I'm saying this because this is happening to black lives constantly it's happening to mental health patients too mm-hmm. 
and it's 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 the whole thing is just wrong and and it's and i and i haven't done i did nothing about that i did nothing i i wrote it in my book but i did nothing <laughs> i didn't write i didn't write a letter to the toronto police force i didn't write i didn't do anything mm-hmm. and that doesn't help anybody because it's still but happening. sharing your story does though because yeah yeah like a hundred percent um you you wear many hats you are another part of a doctor you're an author you're a mom <laughs> any advice for parents listening about how to talk about mental health to their children yeah i mean really it's about mental health is health i don't even think we should put mental in front of it yeah Right. So we just want to be engaged with our children. And so parents, the thing, a really important book that everybody should be reading is hold on to your kids. My parents matter more than peers and understand that your children, whether you like this, what I'm about to say or not, are, they are absorbing your every move, everything you say, everything you do, everything. They are absorbing you. So we are the products of our parents. Every single child is a product of their influence, of the parental environment that you grew up in. And so I say this to my patients, it doesn't sound the greatest, but we're all programmed by the people who raise us. And I don't mean that in a negative necessary, necessarily way. I just mean that your influence. This brain is basically a computer and it's recording everything that happens, everything. And then it's making meaning to it, right? So, but the point that this is where the springboard into hope comes because you can shift and change just because you have a certain belief system or you may have formed a, you know, you may be thinking more along the negative lines like I used to in terms of, you know, how people talk about glasses have empty, glasses have full. I mean, I used to be like, I don't even have a glass. I don't even have any water. Right. So, you know, to build myself to this point where I do have a glass and most of the time it has some water in it and most of the times it's pretty full. Right. It's, it's, it's a choice. And I know we said earlier, you mentioned, you know, that we don't have control of our thoughts, but actually I'm going to say you do mm-hmm. when you're, you don't feel you, like you, that when you're out of control, when you're absolutely. in a crisis, right? Yeah, yeah. Psychot- right. But, but even in psychosis, the person is still there. The person is still there. So I went off in a tangent. So parents, so parents, <laughs> you need to connect with your children. Okay, you need to you need to be there so that when something happens in their life, and I'm not saying if, I'm saying when something mm-hmm. happens, they come to you and you don't react, you respond. Like I, my son had a bullying incident in grade seven and I had a choice in my response. I My son is very communicative with me about what's happening in his life. And I would argue that these uh, children who are struggling at, at these younger ages in their, you know, nine, 10 to and up with these struggles, it's not all just on the physical level. It's not all because they have, I mean, the physical level is important, but you have to have the relationship with your children and not be dismissing them constantly and not handing them an iPad and an iPhone to entertain themselves. Mm-hmm. We just can't be doing that. And our society, I have seen in the last 20 years, this has gotten really bad and really out of control. So I don't care how much your kid wants a phone. 
don't give him a phone. My son didn't get a phone until he was in grade eight. Mm -hmm. His friends had phones in grade three. I had to listen to five years of whining. (laughs) Right? Yeah. But I'd rather that than him be addicted to his phone the way I see these young children are. So I don't know. Our society has gotten off track big time. And one way you are helping is with your course. Yeah. So tell us everything we need to know about this very exciting course that's going to be launching. Uh, Oh, my gosh. Soon. Actually, not till yeah, the end of this month. So basically, so I have a very busy practice and it's hard for me to work with everybody one on one. And um, I and and so I created this this course It's called Moving Beyond. And it's based on the book Beyond the Label. It's basically moving beyond your to this place of mental wellness where I would love everyone to land at some point. And it takes you through all the 10 steps in the book. And we do a deep dive into to to all these 10 steps that I talk about that I think are important for health. So diet how to manage your stress, sleep, the exercise component, and then looking at your thoughts. I get into the mental, emotional, spiritual side. So looking at your thoughts, uh, your limiting beliefs, your core beliefs, your shadow beliefs, your unconscious commitments, looking at how you behave and react in the world, how to set boundaries, how to handle your emotional reactions so you're not reactive and triggered constantly, that you learn to respond from a place of calm with your those around you. Uh, understand ultimately how to love and accept yourself. So that's, it's a, it's a phenomenal program and uh, I'm super excited to, to be doing it live. And so hopefully people how many, how out. many courses is there? How, how many, um, so it's 10 weeks, weeks or 10 weeks, yeah, 10 weeks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'll be sure to link everything in the description box. So, you know, you'll be able to find Dr. Chris website, course information, Instagram, social media, <laughs> contact info, everything will be listed. Yeah. 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 So hopefully, yeah. If that's something that's, you know, resonates with people there, or if they know somebody who has anxiety or depression, it doesn't have, you know, it doesn't have to just, you know, be bipolar disorder. It's, it's really just anyone who's really just not where they want to be. And it's virtual. Like we take it from anywhere. Right. Yeah. Um, So very important to know. Uh, Yeah. That is, I know it's like so much, I want to talk to you about it. And I'm like, I'm like I can't forget. Well, I'm going to get into the course. I got to get to the course, but we'll have to do a part two. I know. I know. Absolutely. <laughs> no. Cause it's, you know, I know we, we, we chatted and we talked over delicious baked goods and coffees, but um, you know, cause you had mentioned that again, talking about conversation, talking about role models, I'm going to add another hat to your head because you had mentioned that there was someone um, who did you say was an inspiration to you with bipolar? Cause they've written, Oh, uh, K. K. Redfield Jameson. Right. And so, and then, because I felt the same way when I read your book, because, so for me, you know, I I was diagnosed at 14. No one could tell me anything. No, no one could tell me what quality of life I was going to live, if I would be able to have a family, if I would be able to work. Um, This was kind of all unknown. And even when I received long-term care, uh, I, three months I was at a Homewood um, facility. 
I still, my life was still a question mark. I didn't, mm. I knew I was receiving treatment, but what did that mean? Like, did it, like, do I have to live with my family, my parents for the rest of my life? Can I have a healthy relationship? What, what am I capable of doing? And no one could answer those questions for me. Mm. And then as someone who, like, I love writing, I would love to write a book sometime, but like seeing that you, you, you have, you've written a couple books mm-hmm. and you'll, you have a job and you have family. <laughs> like it's, it sounds, it's, it may sound silly, but it's not silly no, to me. It's, it's like not super silly important. to me. It's not silly to me either. I get it. And I, I just want people to understand if you're feeling like your life is a question mark, then look, you know, look to me, you know, look to you. I mean, you can make your life an exclamation mark. Right. So listen, when the doctor that I went to see, he asked two questions that no other doctor ever asked me. He asked me, did I have a job? Number one, because most of the people who have mental health issues are, do not work. They are on, they're on some sort of disability income. Mm-hmm. And he asked me, did I pay income taxes? It's very important to him. This is Dr. Abraham Hoffer. He, he was very important to him to get people functioning in society, to be contributing members of society, because, because it can be demoralizing, I think, to, you know, as humans, we, 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 we have a sense of purpose, right? And so for him, and it was funny, because I'm like, yeah, I have a job. And yes, I pay income tax. <laughs> like, what, what, but, but I understand that I'm absolutely not the exception right this is not it's not 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 so much for bipolar disorder but for for schizophrenia and anyway some of these conditions that's not the norm to be working in and whatnot so i think the thing is that you yeah so thank you for saying that i feel that it's important that you people have hope and that they you know, the last chapter of my book is all the myths of mental illness illness these are all the things i have been told you know like you should not have a family or um, whatever. I, I don't know. There's like 20 myths in there. I'm drawing a blank right now. But the point is that these are all things I've been said and they're all wrong. They're all not true. And you can live amazingly wonderful life with bipolar disorder. It's a condition that I think is important to manage and you manage it by following the 10 steps I talk about but there's no reason. Okay. Maybe you won't be able to police officer. Maybe you won't be a pilot, but pick something else that doesn't start with a P as for a career. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Chris, thank you so much for coming on today. And I'm so excited um, just about your course and I, you know, I'll be sure to direct as many people. I want everyone to go check out her website and just learn how you can take more control of your thoughts, your life, your health health being mental health and physical health yeah so thank you so much for coming on and and just you know also just just for letting me talk to you (laughs) of course well thank you for for reaching out that time and and it was so it was very serendipitous because I was like oh well I'm actually going to be in Toronto so I know no why don't we meet up and so we did and and it was it was lovely and and you know that's the thing you're doing important work in the world and 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 uh, keep 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 up doing what you're doing. It's very very important. Thank you so much, and thank you everyone for listening. Uh, again, please check out everything about Dr. Chris in the description. I'll link everything, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>